Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the suitcase and the stride with award-winning journalist Scott Burnside and former NHL goaltender Mike McKenna, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside back again for this week's edition of the Suitcase and the Scribe, Mike McKenna. I, I, I'm starting to I live vicariously through you, Mike, because you're out, you're doing things in the world. That save on Eric Lindros in the uh, alumni game in Philadelphia, honestly, like. Uh, if you're listening to this right now and you haven't seen it, go and Google it or look on Twitter. It's a, it's outstanding. How was the event? This is two weeks in a row. You've been out and doing really cool things as a goaltender, and it looked like a ton of fun in Philadelphia. Yeah, ironically, in Philadelphia, both times, uh, what was not shown very often was the goals that I allowed. I'm not as flexible as I used to be. I can't seal the ice. I can't seal the posts like I once was able to. Um, but yeah, I, I think the best clip I had was the save on Lindros where, um, you know, puck goes side to side, comes back to the middle. It's a three on one and I overcommit, have to push back and get a blocker on it. And, you know, in the moment, you don't really realize who you're facing when it comes off the blade because it's bang, bang, and then make the save and look up and go, all right, that was Eric Lindros. And, and, and you know, like for me as a kid growing up, Lindros, LeClaire, like some of these guys that... I've never had a chance to meet them. I only got to watch them in their prime, never played against them. It's still a huge thrill, you know, to, to share the locker room uh, and share an event with, with these legendary names of the game. I mean, you know, Rick Tockett was inducted into the Flyers Hall of Fame along with Paul Holmgren. Um, fantastic occasion for both of them. And I got to play for Tock in Tampa Bay uh, and have seen him since and, and, you know, watched him go on to be a head coach again with Arizona and, and it's fun to catch up with him. But I was also coached by Iron Mike Keenan. <laughs> and I got pulled by Mike Keenan. So it's like a badge of honor. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's all in fun. Uh, the cool part is that one of the Flyers Warrior goaltenders, Bill Duffy, got a chance to play in the game. Good. And so he went in for the last 10 minutes. We changed on the fly, uh, got pulled by Iron Mike. He took me out of the game. And the cool part about that, Scott, is that we're both St. Lawrence graduates, Mike Keenan and myself. He's a 72 graduate of St. Lawrence University. I am an 05. And sure enough, here we are sharing stories about the college days and the TikTok in and the Hoot Owl and Sergi's Pizza. And, um, 
Matt, it was just a really super awesome event. I was okay on the ice. I wish I'd made more saves. <laughs> isn't that the uh, isn't that the goaltender's constant lament though? I wish. Oh, that, yeah. you know, we had Ryan Miller on a couple of weeks. I didn't mention it because it didn't really seem to fit. But it, it was you know after the 2010 Olympics in Vancouver, and Ryan Miller was you know he was a tournament. I don't know whether he was tournament MVP, but certainly the the all-star goalie from the tournament and Mike Liute, who's his, his agent. And he mentioned that sent out, uh, and I don't know who he sent it to, but one arrived in my mailbox. He sent a signed puck with a letter from the, the head Ryan's signature on it. And basically it was, you know, thanks for your coverage. And I, I, and the last line or one of the lines was, I just wish I'd made one more stop. And there's, you know, I mean, Gives up the golden goal to Sidney Crosby, but that was his lament. And, that's and how I'm it sure always is. It's forever, right? Yeah. You know, I wish I'd made one more stop. That's how it works for us. I mean, I, I looking back, I can replay the six goals I allowed in my head. And, you know, Scotty Upshaw's flying around like it's 2007 out there, you know, like he's ripping. He has a hat trick before you know it. I mean, he went bar down from the slot with a screen in front in an alumni game. Um, I kind of was like, wow, we got to play. I mean, but. You just you can't take the competitive fight out of not just goalies, anybody. I mean, Brad Marsh and Todd Fedoric went up and on, up and down the ice, two handing each other, like really two handing like each other. Was, yeah, no, <laughs> it's man, you just you can't take it out of us. And you know, we come in between the second and the third. Donald Brashears, all right, boys, let's go. And and you could sense that it, he's having fun with it. Yeah, but he also really kind of means it because we're down a couple of goals. You just want to win, and that's that's how goalies are wired. You know, if you can't perform up to your standards, you and your standards a shutout. That's your that's your standard, and even in a shutout, you think, "Wow, I got away with one or two there." So it's just how we're wired. But but what a fun event, man! I I, I was flattered that they asked me. Frankly, I'm a guy who played one game for the Flyers, and I understand that goalies are in need for these games. Yeah. Um, but just it, man, the Flyers do things right with their alumni. They really do. And um, there's other teams around the league that are known for it, but I think they set the gold standard, Scott. It was a great weekend. Tons yeah. of fun to be. Good stuff. And I, I'm, I'm going to, I want to, I'm going to shift gears and we're going to talk some more goalies and, and hall of fame and stuff. But you, when you talk about that competitiveness, I covered an outside, an outdoor game in Denver at Coors Field. I don't know, five or six years ago, several employers ago. And, uh, but it was, and what I happened to be at the alumni game between the Avs and the Red Wings. And that the Red Avs and Red Wings were playing the real game. Uh, but the day before, there was an alumni game between the Avs and the Red Wings. And honestly, they, I thought they were, I thought they were, I thought they might have to, I don't know what they were going to do, but things got pretty heated on the ice. I don't know whether it was Chris Simon. Anyway, there was, it, in the press box, people were looking at each other going, oh, my God, they are going it's this is going to be a legitimate brawl. Right. And is this going to happen? It was going to happen. So I, I I totally get it. It's great. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I miss, I you know, I'm it's been a number of years since I've been at Hall of Fame. And of course, I didn't have a Hall of Fame ceremony a year ago because of the pandemic. And so great to even, you know, at a distance, follow what was going on and the inductees. And I covered it every year for, for many years and just such a great gathering of hockey people, right? It's just, a, it's a great weekend. Yeah. Everyone's in great mood and they do all kinds of great stuff around there. And so I, I've missed going. Um, 
but I, and I know you've sort of addressed this on social media and it's come up. I was amazed at how you basically, I get there's only, you know, there's one goalie, five skaters on the ice. So maybe the, the numbers, you know, shouldn't be that surprising. But I went back and I looked I think since 1993, Billy Smith went in 1993. Look at me, fancy stats guy. But which, was, by the way, Billy Smith, 93 exclamation point. I know. So he Billy won four Smith, Stanley Cups. So since Billy Smith went in and, okay, you're getting mad already. I know this. Since 1993, seven goaltenders have gone in. And I did a rough count this morning. Of, and that's a, of the number of players, and that's men and women, uh, since women have been uh, started being inducted a number of years ago. But anyway, 86 players. We're not talking build. 86 players have gone in the Hall of Fame since 93. Seven goaltenders. That doesn't seem right to me. That not doesn't for- seem right. Not for a position that's considered to be absolutely essential to winning hockey games in Stanley Cups. And every single GM or president will tell you that goalies get coaches and general managers fired. Yes. Okay. But I, it's, it's impossible to correlate why this is happening <laughs> on a surface level. Because you have so many people that really should be in the Hall of Fame by the metrics that people talk about. Yeah. You know, oh, you need Stanley Cups. Okay. Well, here's Tom Barrasso who was rookie of the year and won a Vezina rookie season in, in Buffalo in 84, won two Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins, won, I don't know, he played over 700 games and he's sitting top 20 and wins in the league. Okay, why is he not in? Then you go to Mike Vernon, who won a Stanley Cup in Calgary, a Stanley Cup in Detroit, five-time All-Star, and a guy who, again, he's sitting in the top, I think he's 16th in wins. Like, these guys aren't in the hall. You know, like, and I'm just going to give some comparables here. Okay. And this is not to take anything away from these individuals, but I want to have the comparables. Marion Hosa's 57th all time in NHL scoring in an era where players can play 20 years and he's immediately in the Hall of Fame. And we're talking about his defensive play. Okay. (laughs) All right. And you can't, and you're telling me that Mike Vernon, 16th and wins. Yep. Five All-Star games, two Stanley Cups isn't in there. Tom Barrasso. Um, Curtis Joseph. Curtis Joseph's fourth and wins all time. He played for some terrible teams like yep. that he carried the mail on. It's so dedicated to winning. And it's it's either wins or cups. Like those are really your metrics as goalies. Sadly, that's the way it works. Yeah. And I, I just I can't fathom that. Like if you're top 20 in goalie wins, you should probably be in the Hall of Fame. Like that should kind of be what we're looking at what here. What the bar and is, yeah. Yeah, if that's what we're going to base it off of. Chris Osgood, two Stanley Cups, you know, 401 wins. It just go down the list, man. There's a lot of guys there. Andy Moog's probably in the conversation. Yep. Um, you know, Jonathan Quick's going to finish his career maybe outside the top 20, but to me, that's guys, he's a Hall of Famer. Con Smythe winner, two Stanley Cups, face of USA Hockey as a goaltender, like 100%. Yeah. What about Tim, um, Th- so, what do you, what about Tim Thomas? No, I, I don't think Timmy's going to. I think the reason being is he just, you know, for the one magical season and a couple of great seasons that he had in Boston, it wasn't sustained long enough. Right. Okay. Yeah. I do believe that you have to have, it's got to have longevity to your career. Yeah. That's real. But yeah. here's why I think things go sideways with the Hall is that one, they only have John Davidson. Davidson, Davidson. Let me go back and say John Davidson, Davidson to give respect to his name. He's the only guy that was a goalie in the yeah. voting committee that I can see, that I can think of. Yeah. You have one advocate and you got a bunch of people that just don't understand the position. <laughs> okay. Uh, straight up. Like you may act like you do, but they don't. And 
again, for all the value placed on it, it's just easier to say, oh, we can't put him in. He wasn't good enough. And the reason being is because sustained success as a goaltender just doesn't exist because it's so predicated upon the team in front of you. And you may have a couple down years or you may finish your career on a low note and you don't end up in the hall because of that. And that's ridiculous to think. And it's not just goalie, Scott. I got one example I'm going to give you for forward. And I know I'm ranting here and I'm no, taking I the like ball it. and I'm, I'm I, running with it here, I, Scotty. I like it that you heard the Can we talk about the fact that we're inducting Kevin? I mean, Kevin Lowe goes in. Okay, I can, I can buy that. I get it. But how is Alexander Mogilny not in the Hall of Fame? This is the one that year in, year out sticks out to me and I can't fathom it. You know, like... <laughs> He's the first to defect from Russia, which is monumental in the first place to come over and play. He'd already won a gold medal. I mean, this is a hockey hall of fame. It's not just the NHL. He'd already won a gold medal. He played three seasons in Russia, lit it up in Russia before he came to the, to North America. So take those point totals and add them to his NHL totals over a thousand points in 900 something games over a point a game, his whole career, won a Stanley cup of the New Jersey devils. Yep. He's not in the hall of fame. You know is, it like because, yeah. is it because Lou flushed his contract at the end of the career and he finished with the Albany River Rats? Yeah. Like, I played against him in the American Hockey League. Do you know what it's like to skate out in the American Hockey League your first year and see Alexander Mogilny coming down to you? Oh, I, I, I'm perplexed. Scott, do you, have a, do you have an answer why Mogilny's yeah. not in the hall? I, I got. I, I do know that the hall, and having talked to people who are on the selection committee, it's a really, it's a kind of an archaic, weird system, and and there has been some turnover. And I, I really, I, you know, I I think that the hall has done a nice job in, in in recent years. Again, because there's been some turnover, and I think they are a little bit more forward thinking. I love the idea that that women are now in the, as a absolutely Kim Saint Pierre goes in goaltender. There you go. There's yeah. a goalie union member right there. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, absolutely right. deserving to be in the hall of fame. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, it is a, and, and I think, I think probably you've touched on it. it. The fact that if, if you aren't a goalie or aren't, don't have a real strong connection to goalie, maybe you don't, maybe you don't understand, or, you know, maybe there it's, I don't know. It's, it's a weird, it's, it's weird that there are goalies that, that I, you know, that, that haven't made, haven't made the grade and there are players and again, I always hate having these discussions because it sounds like you're slagging somebody. We're not slagging Perrine Hosea. No, these are Kevin great Lowe. hockey but, players. But it's a great debate to have because it's the Hall of Fame and it should, it sh- the bar should be so high. Yeah. Um, so I, now, so I, this will allow me a segue into our next topic. But Roberto Luongo, my Honor, sense is, yeah, there you go. He better be in next year. Okay. Third all, I th- what, third all time in goalie wins? I think third. Yeah. I, d- I should have called I mean, him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fourth. I apologize because Mark Andre Fleury surpassed him last season. Okay. But yeah, Roberto Luongo played a th- over a thousand games in the NHL. I mean, he we never won a Stanley Cup. No. Great. Okay. He played for the Florida Panthers for half his career. <laughs> when the Panthers weren't, when the Panthers didn't have Scott Mellonby shooting rats off of walls in yeah, the locker room. Okay. This were the, these were the tough years for the Panthers. Yep. And he goes to Vancouver and he gets that team to the finals. Yep. And, but people, people will make excuses why he should be in. He let in a bad goal in this game. You know what? He won a gold medal, but, but, but he wasn't, he almost lost that gold medal. He, it's he true. shut I was up. at the game. He like, almost lost it to yes. Slovakia in the semifinals. Like, but like not telling you to shut up, Scott. I'm, I'm just like, my brain wants to tell people, shut up. This guy is one of the greatest to ever play the game. If you're going on greatness, 
Roberto Luongo was one of the greatest goalies to ever play. Statistically wins playoff success, even without the cup Olympics. Like he should be in next year. Period. End of story. Okay. Uh, Okay. So that's it. It allows me the great segue then. I don't think it's a stretch, but you mentioned the Vancouver Canucks, of course, the team that he took to a Stanley Cup final in 2011, epic seven-game series. I got to tell you, that series still stands out as one of my favorite final series to cover. And not that, the hockey stunk. It, the games themselves were crap. <laughs> it, the, uh, and I remember like yesterday, but, you know, they go to they start in Vancouver and uh, the Canucks choke the life out of the Bruins, win two games. I remember going home, going home, going back to Boston for games three and four <laughs> and planning when I could get home to Atlanta because I was like, no chance Boston wins a game. Of course, they crushed the Canucks twice, go back to Vancouver. I believe it was an overtime game in game five, and they lose. I'm like, this, it is over. Yeah. No. Things, things are on fire. Oh the riot, yeah. and it's the whole thing. Ugh. But you know what? I mean, and, and it allows us to, to morph into the, uh, you know, sort of the, the current con- the discussion of the Vancouver Canucks. And really, since 2011, no, I think it's fair to say two years ago in the bubble, you know, the, um, the Canucks beat the Blues in a, a fairly dramatic fashion. It was really exciting. And, you know, Patterson and I think there was this, okay, we are finally coming out of it. Because since 2011, it's been a, that team has been in pretty constant, if not decline, then, you know, what are you doing? Where are you going? And, oh, my gosh, they are they are they are tire fire this year. And I did, I did not see that coming. And just as we're chatting here, um, ownership, um, the Aquilini's met with the uh, GM, Jim Benning, uh, understand, you know, I mean, we're not like, I don't know what, what kind of change may be happening. It's probably not going to happen right away, but this is a team that is 32nd on the penalty kill, 26 on the power play, 27th in goals allowed per game. There's no way they should be this bad in no. that market. I, I love that market because they, they're not alone in this, but Vancouver is its own special marketplace and they care deeply. And I, I, they make this is an angry place in Vancouver right now. And I wonder if you felt this was coming or like, what do you do? I think Travis green, I, I, I think Travis green is an excellent coach. And in fact, at one point, two years ago, you could sort of, you know, is there a place for him on the Canadian Olympic staff, all those kinds of stuff. And man, it's a mess there. It's just, it's a mess in Vancouver. And I don't, I, I, it's, it's pretty late now for Vancouver already in this season. I, I, they're, you know, they're, they're not, they're not close to being a playoff team. No, they're not. Uh, and you touched on a lot of the reasons special teams is crushing them. Yeah. And you're never going to win hockey games at a 60% penalty kill at all. And they've got a hell of a goaltender in Thatcher Demko. That's yet again, we got a goalie being wasted behind a team in front of him. Jakob Markstrom. Same thing out the door because the team just couldn't. He carried that team. Okay. You want to talk about a season where they actually had some success when they played well in the bubble, when they went far. I mean, that was Markstrom early and then Demko later. Yep. And I I don't know, man. Like, I really like Travis Green. I, I understand the sentiment of him being a good coach, but the track record isn't there. Yeah. Like, and man, I, I, I don't like to beat up on people, but even in, you know, in the American League in Utica, his teams were good but they weren't a threat they weren't that stock like he just he doesn't have the winning record to go along with the perception 
that yeah. we have. And, and that's just reality. And I don't like that reality because I'm rooting for, I root for just about everybody. There's not many people I don't like in this game, but <laughs> I, I, the way the rosters, thank you. I, I, and I hope people appreciate that, but like the way the roster is constructed. Yeah. It's not great. I, you know, I had hopes for this team largely on Elias Pedersen, if he was going to be healthy. That was my question. It was like, if he's healthy, I think this team's good. Yeah. Well, he's healthy, but he hasn't done anything this year. He's got three goals. Yeah. And, okay. and the power plays abysmal. Like teams have figured out how to play against them. They haven't been able to morph their power play into something that's dangerous because they've all clued in on get the, I mean, get the Pedersen, you know, force him. Uh, you can let Quinn Hughes do what he wants and he's played well for the team. He's been better actually this year defensively on a team that can't play defense, but you know, Ekman Larson, like, Scotty, I'm always really wary of reclamation projects. Yeah. You know, players that are almost 30 years old, when their play declines somewhere and you trade for them and you hope that they get their game back, because that's what you're doing. Okay. You're hoping their game comes back. I mean, Ekman Larson's got three points in 16 games. That's just not what has to happen. I mean, I don't know what the deal is with Vancouver, honestly. Like Nate Schmidt goes there and and it it doesn't have work at all last year. Now he goes to the Winnipeg Jets and he's back on track. Yep. So I I don't know if there's I mean, listen, I spent two days in the Vancouver locker room and, and three days. It didn't seem like there was anything off in terms of chemistry there to me, but you start to wonder about all these things. And you know, the depth's just not there, or they're not a fast enough team. Um there's, there's going to have to be changes there. There has in some capacity. And I don't know what, where you begin with that because there's been a lot of turnover within even the roster, but they just, they haven't grabbed it, man. I thought yeah. this team would be better than where they are. I thought yeah. they'd at least be like, at least in contention for playoffs. And they're nowhere close to that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know what, you know, when we always, we have these discussions, I say this all the time, you know, it's easy. Okay. You want to fire Travis Green. Okay. You know, I, I get it. I understand that sentiment and there's probably um, a logical reason to do so, but what, so what is, what's the plan B? I mean, you know, uh, you know, I love Bruce Boudreaux, you know, does he get another shot somewhere? He's his history of, of picking up teams and, and certainly in the short term, having great success is there, but you know, what do you have somebody, you know, in, in, was it Abbotsford or wherever their AHL team they're is? In, now. Yeah, they're in Abbotsford yeah. now. So, yeah. like, where? So, again, it's what's what's the plan? You okay? You want to fire Jim Benning? All right. Well, okay. Do you have Jim Rutherford lined up, or is there who's the young? Who do you bring in? What is the plan? Because yeah. it, it's not just the people, and you alluded to it. it. I mean, the OEL deal is going to kill them. Yep for years. And that was the danger in making that move. I know they unloaded short-term contracts that they shouldn't have made in the first place, you know, whether it was, you know, the whole bottom end, they overloaded there with the oh. Russell and Beagle. And, Beagle. Uh, Big know. contracts. It's so you unload that, but you, now you, you still have a long time of pain ahead. And mm-hmm. I thought this works because maybe OEL immediately is able to reclaim his confidence. He talked about the lack of confidence, all that kind of stuff in, in Arizona. I get it. But if it's not happening now, when does it happen? And now you're saddled with maybe, you know, one of the top two or three worst contracts in the NHL. So I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I don't either. Uh, I, it's a team that's like, if you fire a GM, it's you go into rebuild mode. They've been in rebuild mode, rebuild mode for seven years, eight years now. 
Yeah. And, you know, so many times you can bring in a GM to just go, okay, we're going to do one little tweak and then make this happen. No, you come in guns, blaze and arrows firing and trying to do things your way. Um, but it's, it's stagnant period. Like, and that's just where they're at right now. I mean, you know, it's, it's tough to watch, frankly, like I'd like to see fans in Vancouver get more than that. Um, but you know what, we've got other teams in the league that are at least turning the other direction. You know, we were talking before, uh, before and yesterday about how I was really intrigued to watch Florida play last night. And because to me, this was a team that they'd lost four straight games. They had done, they've lost, they lost two of them in extra innings out of those four. So you give them a little caveat, but they were three and one after Joel Quenville went away after he resigned. And then they lost four straight. And you start to wonder, is Andrew Burnett going to remain the head coach of the Florida Panthers if they can't start winning regularly again? This is a team that needed a response badly. And they trounced the Islanders last night, six to one. I I was watching that game. Four in the first, I think. Was uh, yeah. And, and I tell you what, like they came home to Florida. They've got a big homecoming, big homestand. Uh, but I have legitimately thought here, Scott, that if the Florida Panthers didn't beat the Islanders last night and then they didn't beat, I believe they're playing the Devils tomorrow night. Yeah. I thought you were going to see somebody come in as a head coach of Florida. Yeah. I thought six straight, six straight losses for a team that's in first place in a division with a, with a, an assistant coach that doesn't have the experiences ahead. I thought for sure it was going to happen. Um, this definitely bought some, some rope, I guess, for Andrew Burnett. And I'm happy about that because I like to see, you know, guys get a chance and succeed. Yeah. But wow, like Scotty, that was, that was, that was impressive, wasn't it? Was you know, like, and I think, I think around the league, I mean, you may get the sense. Do you think, you think people around the league are looking at Florida and really going, this yeah, team no, is for yeah. real? And it was, I mean, disappointing and problematic. Of course, Alexander Barkov leaves that mm-hmm. game last night. And uh, you know, clearly, I mean, early MVP, sure, uh, no question. Early Selke, sure, all those things. Yeah. He's he's the man there. And so you hope it's not a long-term thing. That, I can tell you, though, that I love the depth of that team. Like, and I think I think of the I think a different line scored each of the four goals in the first period, something like that. It, but it was a total depth show um, against the Islanders. And I do really, you know, we talked a little bit about it before when Carolina and, and Florida played early mm-hmm. on a Saturday night, that, you know, sort of Titans of the Eastern conference. And um, I, I think Florida is still very much in that discussion. Um, I still think that to Florida, Tampa, Carolina right now are the, the three, you know, the obvious cream of the crop in the Carolina, East. especially. Yeah. I mean, Big they just for gave, them, they, gave it to Vegas last yeah. night. And uh, just, and not, I go, no, it was four, two and, and the Carolina got up to nothing. And then the, the Knights, uh, golden Knights tied it, but really, really Carolina brought it all night. They did. And that was just, uh, and, that's how they play. The, and by the way, big for them to get anti Ranta back yeah, and win good. a game. It's surprised that, you know, here's a Freddie Andrew plays Anderson plays every game. Ranta mm-hmm. plays one, gets hurt. He's out for a couple of weeks. And then the first game of a six game road trip, there's anti Ranta in there. And he, he yeah. was very good. So, and he's such well. a nice guy. I, I, as you know, I do some content for the Canes. I was in Carolina and he and I had a long chat, you know, it's been a tough go for him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, had some personal losses over the uh, off season and then to get hurt in his very first game and like, 
a year or whatever it was. So, but such a nice guy. And, and there are a lot of fins on that team and they, mm-hmm. there is a real, he's already in a very short period of time, I think an important, I hate that term glue guy, but that's, I think what he's becoming there. So sure. I, well, I've, that's a good one to punch. If anti rant yeah. is healthy. I mean, I'm, I had that tandem ranked really highly. Yep. Uh, with with Freddie Anderson and Ranta. And I just, my only question is Ranta would stay healthy. Yep. So if he can stay out of the train tracks, <laughs> it's yeah. just like, stay in the please, crease. please, stay auntie, just please, auntie. We love watching you play. I love showing your clips to goalies that I coach. Please stay healthy. <laughs> uh, but man, Carolina, you're right though. Carolina just, it's, it's pretty special. And you see these clips of Rod Brindamore taking, you know, he's, he's grabbing the luggage off the plane. You know what he's really doing? He's just getting a pump in. He's just working those muscles, <laughs> making sure he, he gets worked out for four hours because he was on the flight. That's all it is. Yeah. But he's built that culture, Scott, and you know how important that is in this game. Yeah. I, I, so I'm curious. We, we talked about the, the Islanders. You know, and, you know, we talk about teams that, you know, have underachieved or whatever as we and we're getting, you know, when we talk next week, it'll be the day before Thanksgiving. And that's always mm-hmm. the line in the sand. So we'll, we'll save some of that discussion for then. But, you know, I, I think there is this feeling about the Islanders who are I think they're in last place. No, just checking the Metro here. Quick check here. Yes. Last place, two points behind Pittsburgh, although they played two fewer games, uh, but the Islanders are not very good right now. And they're a long way out of a playoff spot. They are a long, but this is their, they've cut, you know, 13 games on the road to start the yeah. season. I, I, and I think again, to your idea, you know, this notion of culture and what does it mean and how valuable is it? It's hard to quantify sometimes, but if you pulled a hundred people in the game, how many would say that the Islanders are out of it? And my guess is, very, very few. And I think that's mm-hmm. the, the feel, you know, Barry Trotz is who he is. He, he's, he, to me, he's the guy that rides out this 13 game road trip. They looked ghastly last night. And actually <laughs> let's just check my little notes. Islanders 30th on the power play 29th on goals per game. So that's not great. No. Um, but to me there, I don't know if there's any level of concern because I think we've now come to expect that at some point Barry Trost is going to get that team in shape and they're going into a new home. Obviously their schedule will be more heavily weighted to home games as we move along. Are you concerned about them or do you assume that when we come to talk at the Olympic break or after the Olympic break, owls are going to be right there. I'm concerned. I think it's getting to be too late straight up. Like I've seen this happen before where, you know, you got a new building, you play a quarter of your games on the road to start the year and you just keep spinning your wheels. Yeah. Cause you have to, you have to rack up points early. Yep. And, and, and I'll reference this again, just because I cover them so often, but like the golden Knights have gotten points due to even despite all the injuries they've had, they've managed to get some points and stay right at that bubble for playoffs. Yeah. The Islanders aren't like that, man. Like they're sitting seven points out of playoffs right now. They're down a couple games. They have games in hand, but they've gotten good goaltending and they're not scoring. Yeah. And, and I look at terrible. It's, still. it's been, I mean, 10, 11 days since they've played a quality game. Yeah. They've gotten trounced four straight. I mean, four games, they've given up 19 goals in four, the last four games. Yep. And I know you can always look at strength of schedule and make excuses for that, but man, there's not many bad teams in hockey. Like, especially like in the East, you don't get to run over Arizona. I mean, I know Buffalo's coming back down to earth, but even they've been competitive. Big win over Pittsburgh last night. Exactly. You know, so like 
you don't have easy games. The Kraken aren't out there. Like the Sea Witch isn't there. Like you just, uh, I mean, Jersey beats the Islanders four rip Minnesota five, two. Like these are the teams you're going to have to play later. And again, like they're still getting good goaltending. Sorokin gets chased last night in Florida. Like I am very concerned about the Islanders. And this is a team I would have never thought I'd be saying that about this season. And because the Barry Trotz factor is so real. I mean, even those teams in Nashville that were really, really thin, not long after expansion, man, if they didn't make the playoffs, they were right at the edge every year. Plucky teams. Um, I, I do think that being on the road like this can crush a team. It can. And you wonder if that's at play here because when they come back and they start to play those games at home, man, they better run some teams out of the building and get some confidence. Like we, yeah. you can't tread water. They're going to have to bring it because I mean, four yeah. straight losses here. Like it's got to start. It's, it needed to start yesterday. It's got to start next game. Well, and I wonder now if, and maybe that's how I, you know, I was watching part of that game last night as well. And this notion that, you know, maybe you're, it's been, you know, like, it's not like they, they got to, they went home, right. They didn't play all 13 games in a row. So they, it's not like they haven't been home, but I wonder if you've been, you know, if you're the Islanders, you're looking at the end of that. Okay. Yes. We're getting closer and closer. We're going to go to our new building. We're going to, you know, that's, you know, something they've been looking forward to. And maybe that explains some of the, you know, because that was an ugly performance last night, but to your point, Mike, they have to, they have to jump on it right away because I wonder what the psychology is. Like, what if they, you know, if they go one, one and one in their first three games, now all of a sudden you're like, geez, maybe we're not that good or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. I'm with you. They have to take advantage of the new home and the having those fans that will be, you know, it's it's one of the great fan bases in the NHL. Oh, hundred percent. They got to take advantage. They got to ride that wave. Like they they have to, like they've got to win that first game at home. If they don't, I'll I'll say, I will make this prediction, Scott. All right. All right. Let's mark this down in our notes. I'm going to take it. I'm going to, I'm taking a note. If the, new, if the New York Islanders do not win their first game in their new building that I apologize for not having the naming rights to memorized in my head right now. Yes. They will not make playoffs. Okay. That is my prediction. I will Got owe it. you one glass of red wine if that does not happen. One glass. As long as it, 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 can I choose the size? That's just my. Question. You can choose the size. You can All choose right. the vintage. So you All could right. you could really get me with that one, Scotty. Right. Good stuff. So, so, right. so I've made a note. Yep, you got it written down. Perfect. Yep. And, and you know what? Again, it's always nice to work with a pro. But what a perfect segue to our tiny break and our weekly mention of DoorDash. DoorDash is the proud sponsor of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Restaurants and more delivered right to your door. I always put the pressure on you, but uh, I always love to hear your DoorDash stories. But maybe with your travel, you haven't had a DoorDash tale to tell us this week. Well, I don't, but I can tell you what Mrs. McKenna and the kids do, because when I'm gone, they take full advantage of the dash. And I went to one of our favorite Thai restaurants, Manet Thai, just down the road. Had some nice uh, chicken satay ordered up and a little Thai Rama. Kids sure love that with the peanut sauce. Oof, so good. So, I don't yeah, like DoorDash. That. I'll just, I'm going to throw what? that right in. I don't, like, what? I don't oh. like the peanut stuff. I don't like this. Oh, this I love noodles. it. 
Got the sweet, it. the sour, the, the tamarind, the cilantro, the fish sauce. Oh, it's just delicious. But uh, but yeah, so DoorDash always comes to the rescue when I'm out of town. So thank you, DoorDash. Yes, good stuff. Um, couple things. We're, we're, we're rolling right along. I, I, and I you know what? Uh, we, we talked a little bit about the Olympics last week. Um, and this is a, it's, they're interconnected. I, I was, I'm curious whether you were surprised that the NHL finally stepped in and, and postponed, I think three uh, senators games to start yes. with. I think they were up to 10 players in uh, COVID-19 protocols. Um, I, I do wonder, you know, there have been lots of teams that have had to deal with, you know, breakthrough cases, San Jose's, you know, gutted out a number of games with missing five and six guys, yeah. you know, the blues, there are lots of uh, blues have been crushed by it. Yeah. Colorado's had a tough time with it. Uh, but anyway, the league did the postponement uh, for the first time this season, three senators games. Um, hey, were you surprised by it? And uh, you know, does this, uh, does, are you worried? Is this a domino type thing? Or do you believe that this might be one of those isolated things? And this is, this will be as bad as it gets in terms of, of that kind of um, postponement issue. I'm nervous. I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm worried yet, but I'm a little nervous here. Okay. okay? Because I think that, you know, it's funny though, at the start of the year, we both said, I think we get this year off. No problem. You know, I think we've got a good enough handle on it. And, but all this the is, vaccination rate was incredible. Well, and that's why I think we're, I think some of us all got lulled into a sense of security in that it really isn't breakthrough cases. Like you can still transmit and contract Corona 19 despite being vaccinated. Yeah. You know, and, and so, I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, but the science is showing it's keeping people out of hospitals and it's keeping them healthier if they yeah. receive, if they get it. OK, so yeah. take that for what it is. You can still get it. And we're seeing that the spread is still happening. Yeah. And I mean, the Ottawa case, seven, eight players out, they're calling everybody up from the minors. They're still playing. I, I, I appreciate what the league did here. Yeah. thinking we got to try to get these end of games in the best we can because they don't want to have to use the Olympic break for games. They want to play in the Olympics. I know that there's back, I know the owners probably really don't and GMs really don't want their players going there, but man, it's important to the players and it's important to the world and the hockey fans in the world. I think that is understood. Yeah. So, you know, but now we've opened Pandora's box. Yeah. No, it's, you know, they have delayed games and we're now going to get to that critical threshold where if there's three or four teams that end up having to do this, Scott, I think we're in real trouble with the Olympics. Yeah. Well, and we're not far from that. Like, we, I mean, you look at that situation with San Jose, like you only needed a couple more guys to pop a positive and you're looking at delaying games in the same way. I, I do think that with Ottawa, you know, you get to 10 people. That's you, a lot. It's yeah. a lot, but here's the thing. It's not just worried about spread to other teams. Yeah. There's more to this. I mean, there's competitive advantage. You're thinking we're not going to be any good. Like Ottawa's already in the doldrums. They haven't, they haven't hit stride like people thought. They don't have any supporting cast. I mean, and they have such a low payroll. I wonder if it's for them. Like they're begging the league to postpone games, one competitive, but two, like they're suddenly spending seven or six or $7 million more than what their internal their right, internal budget is okay yeah. and, and listen i'm just projecting i'm guessing here but that's real you yeah. know like you've just been crushed as an owner for two years with covid not having any revenue and now you're spending way over what you expected anyway like i know this is supposed to be the period of unparalleled greatness and success in ottawa but that's not the case right now Yeah, no. and so 
Scotty, I, I'm nervous, man. What are you, what's your feeling on it? What are you hearing yeah, inside the league here? Well, it was, and it was interesting. I was watching uh, our pals, uh, Chris Johnson and Darren Dreger mm-hmm. and Pierre Lebrun on the inside of trading. And now Chris Johnson mentioned um, that, that quietly, not quietly, but that my sense is that the teams are encouraging players to get the booster shot, you know, when and where it's available. I mean, that yeah. like, I'll share, I get my, I get a schedule, Sunday, get my booster shot. So here in Georgia. And so I, my sense is that the more players that can as quickly as possible was given their local health regulations, all that kind of stuff. I think in the U S it's, it's going to be wide open within a matter of days and certainly a week or so. It sounds mm-hmm. like from the FDA to get the booster shot that that will go a long way. I think at least hopefully in terms of, you know, tamping these, these outbreaks down, but to right. your point about the Olympics, and I know Frank, uh, our our main man, Frank Cervelli, uh, retweeted a story in, earlier in the season talking to Bill Daly, Deputy Commissioner, about you know what triggers what triggers the NHL's opt out of the Beijing Olympics in February of 2022 is very vague. It's yeah. very vague. Now we do know that it's. Uh, I'm just looking at my make sure I have it right here. January 10th is the opt out date. So. Uh, and the fact that they've now postponed games, that is the first domino. And there isn't a finite, if we have to postpone, postpone X number of games, we exercise this right to withdraw from the tournament. It, it's very loose. I, I'm with you. I hope that there's a lot of open dialogue with the NHLPA. I mean, listen, if we get to a point where four or five teams, uh, it, like what we saw last year, if we get to that point, I totally get it. Yeah. I hope that the owners are not going to use trying to leverage this into to, to pulling the pin on something right. that most of them don't want to be at to begin with. Yeah. I, I, it's real, you know, but I think it goes both ways. Like, I mean, I think the teams don't want a competitive disadvantage. The owners don't Absolutely. want to potentially risk their players. They didn't want them to go to the Olympics in the first place. They're yep. traveling overseas. You're risking injury. Of course, everybody doesn't want their asset to be lost midway through a season. Um, and, and let's face it, some of the better teams are going to lose more players than other teams to the Olympics. And I shouldn't say lose. They will have some, they will have more players going to the Olympics and playing more hockey. Absolutely. I mean, look at the Florida Panthers. They may have three centermen on team Finland from just the Florida Panthers alone. Basically the center position could be from the Florida Panthers. Uh, and, and so I get that, but like, you guys agreed to us. You got to make this happen in this, like, the CBA. Happen. Like, and, and you even look back at that article that Frank retweeted just recently at some of the quotes, even Patrick Kane saying, like, it feels like we're kind of going, maybe we're going. Yeah. And uncertainty isn't a good feeling. No. Yeah. I, and it's I, like, I don't know. I, I I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I mean, I'm in between worried and concerned. Is that mm-hmm. on the spectrum? I don't, I don't uh, know where that fits. I'm not sure the proper know, word I'm, for I'm, it. Yeah, but I feel anyway. like it's one of those things where, like, you mash up two names, like Benefer or something. Yeah, like, we've got to create a word to I'm describe our feeling. There. Yeah. Anyway, I hope it works out. Uh, so, about ownership, this is, I love this. Right? We just got the natural, just natural, flowing, dude. Love it. Ownership. <laughs> A, a huge story. I believe it was the Wall Street Journal that first broke it. Um, but uh, and I think you have a you have a really good sense of what's going on with the uh, Fenway Sports Group. 
uh, owner of the Red Sox, of course, in Boston racing team, yeah. which I know you're really connected with, um, seems to be fairly far down the road with discussions to purchase Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, lots of discussion about what that would mean, you know, specifically for Mario Lemieux, who not just owned the team, but basically saved it twice. He's like iconic. I, I saved think, it on the ice and saved it off the ice. Exactly. But, but well said, well, you know, what would his, his role be? He, I don't think the suggestion is he's going anywhere, but something like this happens. It's a, it's a massive change mm-hmm. in, in dynamic, you know, basically it's been Ron Burkle and Mario Lemieux for years. Um, and, and this would be a, a much different dynamic. And so there's lots of discussion about that. Do you, are you, were you surprised by it? And, and do you have any level of, concern or what it might mean if, if this happens and it could happen very quickly. I'm not terribly surprised because I'd heard the block pens have been on the block, honestly, for a while. Yeah. Um, and I think generally when you hear a team's up for sale, you go, you put, pump the brakes. What's going on here? What's wrong? Why do they want to get rid of it? And I don't have any inside knowledge into this at all, but it's not always easy to be an owner. You got a lot on your plate. And I mean, for, for Burkle and Mary Lemieux, maybe they're just cashing out. Yeah. Maybe it's yeah. just that simple. I mean, they bought the team. For, I don't have the I don't have the sale price or what they bought this club for years ago, but I can guarantee it's not the five or six hundred million or seven hundred million dollars that they're going to get out of this at this point. You know what I mean? Like the return on interest is pretty awesome. It's, like it's so, a, it's a good cash. It's a good I mean, cash like. I mean, dude, Mario made cake when he played, but look at this deal now, man. Like you, you can, <laughs> you can ride that. You can eat fillet Mignon on the, whatever jet you want to buy the rest yeah. of your life with this. Um, it, but I think it just might take the pressure off. Like there's no way Mario Lemieux is not going to still be involved with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. There's just none. Like he, he is Mr. Pittsburgh Penguin. Right. Um, and, and I believe that Roush, or I say Roush Fenway, here I go into the racing talk, yes. Scott. Yeah. Um, everybody sees the Red Sox owners. Fenway, uh, the Fenway group, whatever they, they call Henry. their name is. Yes. Thank you. Um, the Red Sox, obviously massive property, billion dollar property, but they also do have money in NASCAR with Roush Fenway racing. That is now becoming RFK racing with the addition of Brad Keselowski as a driver owner. Listen, NASCAR is big money. I know people may not see that within our realm and hockey as much because we're stick and ball oriented, but it's a pretty diverse group of holdings. Yep. with the Fenway group uh, and they've, they've got their ducks in a row, man. Like this is a legit entity. You know, this isn't like some day trader who just made a bunch of money at a hedge fund going, Hey, I want to play in the pool of billionaires. Let's go, man. This is the private club. Like these are people that are probably going to take care of this team the right way. I think. Yeah. Um, and, and you see a property that's still really strong. Like Pittsburgh is still a really strong property. So I don't see this as a negative to me. I'm guessing it's a cash out. I, I hope it's that's the way. Yeah. Um, and I hope hockey, you know, it's not going anywhere in Pittsburgh, Scott, but it is interesting though. The timing of it's kind of, kind of surprising. Well, that's what I wonder. And here's, you know, here's my, um, I'm going to tell Mario Lemieux story when I get down here, but what the one thing that I'm curious about, you know, vis-a-vis the timing and maybe that it, listen, it was always going to be an issue for the Penguins, especially with Ron Hextel taking over a year ago when Jimmy Rutherford stepped away and Brian Burke coming in. And the reality has always been there that, you know, you've got Chris Letang who's in a contract year, um, you know, 
iconic player on that team, borderline Hall of Famer in my mind, a surefire yeah, Hall I of agree. Famer and Evgeny Malkin, um, who hasn't played at all this year, but also in a contract year. Um, you know, it's a team that has continuously swung for the fences um, based on on their collection of superstars. I you yeah. know, totally get that. But at some point, there was going to be a day of reckoning. And I just wonder you know, is there with new ownership coming in, does it signal an ownership group who has no ties? I mean, Mario stays there, but the the big money comes from the new group. And do they look at it and with a much more clinical look at, no, we don't have room for Chris Letang. Uh, yeah. No, we don't have room for Evgeny Malkin. We're going to go into a period where we need to collect assets, picks, prospects. Mm-hmm. And, and this is how we're going to operate things. And, and I like, who knows? Um, but Penguins right now, they're much like the Islanders. Um, I think the Penguins prospects are not are even more bleak than the mm-hmm. Islanders in terms of getting back into the playoffs, um, just given, you know, again, some of the injuries. And they're just – I don't know where they're at. So I just wonder if the timing is this is going to be the start of the long-anticipated closing of the window in Pittsburgh. Could be. I mean, we'll see how it plays, right? I mean, yeah. it's going to be tough to look at Evgeny Malkin, who's still – a mega producer in this league and is going to command a big contract from somebody. Yeah. Uh, how bad does he want to stay in Pittsburgh to me is what it comes down to. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to finish yeah. your career there? Simple yeah. as that. I mean, cause that's a team that's won five games. They've lost a ton in OT and, and shootouts, but they've won five games and they're on the outside looking in right now. I'm concerned about Pittsburgh. They're always there at the end. Yeah. Uh, man, five on five, another team that's just getting killed five on five. Like they, they, they had like 100 shots last night against Dustin Tokarski. 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 Dustin yeah. was outstanding last night for the Sabres, yeah. but couldn't get it done. No, and, and I, what you say about their prospects, they haven't had the high-end draft picks. Yeah, I will say, though, that Pittsburgh's done a great job with their free agent signings yep. and with their depth picks. They do continue to backfill their roster with players from their own system. They've yep. done a great job of that but they haven't had the top end the gen like you don't want to say generational, but like look at all these teams that are pulling players out of the top 10 of the draft that are producing right away. Yeah. Okay. Like look at Detroit with cider and Raymond and just go down the list of these players. Anaheim. And yeah, no, it's, it's true. How long can you play ball without having those? You know, it's they're They're going to be at a crossroads this year in a year or two. I mean, it probably at the end of this year, I think it might even be the beginning of it. It's a great point, Scott. So, so <laughs> you and I talked about Mario Lemieux and I, I certainly like, I don't know that I, I literally for years, I would send uh, Tom McMillan and Jen Bolano, the PR staff there. Tom McMillan's retired now. And every year I would you know, think like Mario would like to sit down, have a chat. They're like, no, mm-hmm. he's not doing that. And, but, and I, but I do remember back in 08 when they went to the final uh, for the first time since 92, when they won the cup, 92, right? Yes, 92. And we, we'd been asking Mario to, you know, come out and, you know, talk. What's it mean? And, you know, he, he was a captain the last time in their final. And he was like, no, I'm not doing it. It's about the players. I'm not, I'm not talking. And I was at ESPN and maybe I was a bad move, whatever. Anyway, I wrote a column <laughs> at scorching Mario Lemieux. Basically all he cared about was the money. He didn't care about the team, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I was, and you know, like I spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh, but people were not happy. But I do remember the next year when they're back to the final, I was at a morning skate or something. And I got an email from, and I think it was Tom McMillan, the head of communications, veteran guy, just 
Hall of Fame guys in my mind. He sends me a note. He goes, oh, by the way, Mario suggests that you come to this press briefing at two this afternoon because uh, he thought you'd want to be there. And anyway, he came out and he, and he talked about how important it was for him and why he hadn't spoken. And it, we would run into each other at Pittsburgh quite often. And he was always, you know, he was always very cordial. Hey, how are you? We chat, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, I, I'm with you. He'll never, I, I hope he's still, his presence is what he wants it to be with that team because he's earned that. So anyway. Yeah. That's where he should be, man. You gave him the screws and he came back, but you know, it's funny. Like some guys will come back at you hot <laughs> or they'll do it like in a, in a really vindictive way. Yeah, and I think that says a lot though, that he said, Hey, just show up to this and let's talk about it. That's, that's cool. I, and, and how's your, how's your relationship? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that you guys are, are talking on the weekly basis, but how is your relationship now? Oh, well, we don't have one really. But Good. It, okay. That's but, <laughs> I don't want to overstate. I'm never going to overstate it, but it, 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 it certainly, and, and during a time when I spent a lot of time in Pittsburgh, you know, during, you know, both that, that playoff run and then really pretty much every year I was there for the playoffs right. and we would often run into each other and we often, we would have a, we would have a moment. It's like, sure. you know, again, I'm not overstating it, but hey, you know, I, he, I, real quick here though, you said you spent all that time in Pittsburgh. Uh, don't you have a favorite hole in the wall there? Of course. It's one of the favorite, you know, someday we'll just do an, uh, an entire episode on dive bars. I have known, but there is the greatest dive bar on the circuit is right across the street there. Um, and it's called shells cafe. So some night you, you and I'll get there maybe, although we better hurry if the penguins are going to be in the playoffs. But, uh, anyway, that's what, what makes it so give me just give me a quick synopsis. What makes it so special? It just, it became the writer's bar and it's very, it's very, it's, it's very earthy and um, <laughs> it's not, it's, it suits the personality of most of the writers that I know. And, and you know what they, over the years, they've treated us so well there and it just became, yeah, sir, you know, we're, we're creatures of habit. Well, I don't think we're all that different from players, right? I mean, when you went on the road, and it was maybe it was different for you. You played with lots of different organizations, but when you went to a city, you don't go to the same place, right? I mean, yeah. you know, it's, for us, it was. And in fact, recently, not to prolong the discussion at Shales Cafe, uh, the Leafs were in Pittsburgh and got a text and a phone call. Might have even got a video because post game, the Toronto writers were in there and they wanted to share that they were at Shales. So. There you go. That's perfect. Sounds like it has sticky floors. That's the way it should be. Oh yeah, no, it definitely does. So. <laughs> All right, we're just about uh, we're just about there. What, what else you you want? A parting shot, a, a team, or something you're thinking about? You want to watch next week or in between now and when we chat again? What the floor is yours? Well, I mean, can Troy Terry keep this going? Wow, like I, I'm just. I look at Anaheim and I look at that Pacific division and I'm looking and I'm just thinking, this is amazing. You know, I mean, we're talking about battle, Alberta, Edmonton, Calgary. We can't sleep on Anaheim. Eight straight, I think now. And so Ryan Getzlaff here, I promised to give you the last word. Now I'm butting in again, but Ryan Getzlaff, thousand points, Hall of Fame guy for you. He's going to be right at the cusp. I I don't know if Getzloff's going to make it, but like you, I think there's gravity to being the face of a franchise and being a captain, a longtime captain of a franchise. If Ryan Getzloff doesn't make it into the Hall of Fame, he's going to be perennially one of those guys that's discussed as why isn't he in or what, what did it take more for him to get that? So 
He's going to be a bubble guy. Uh, I wouldn't call him a lock. I think there's definitely a strong argument for him to be included. Yeah. I, I'd have to go back and look. Two Olympic golds, maybe? I think I think it would have been. 10 and 14, I think. Yeah, 10 anyway. for sure. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's pedigree there, 100%. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, when, and you know, listen, we talked about it last week with Bob Murray uh, being forced to resign and, and hope he gets the help that he needs uh, moving forward. But for a team that's gone through, you know, some tumultuous times off the ice, I they are to me, they might be the surprise of this season and, and good for, you know, Dallas Eakins. And, and they are, man, they are right in it. They got lots going on well, there. How about this? Maybe the culture's changed for the better. The tumultuous times have made things better. Yeah. Maybe the players feel free now. I mean, yeah. if they're getting, if they're perceiving angry calls and texts and conversations from your GM, that's not an easy work environment. Truth. That team might take off purely based on the fact that they're having fun. They're not scared of their own shadow any longer. Yeah. That might be playing into this. Might be. Could be. All right, brother. That was outstanding. I, I keep looking at the clock and, you know, we could go, we just go perennial or perpetual. Yeah. But well, we don't want to bore everybody. Well, People no. have things to do. It would only be, in, be self-indulgent if we just went for three hours. And plus right. Liam, poor Liam, up early in Edmonton. He, I'm sure he has other things to do. But next week, we'll reconvene. We'll do it all again. But fine work, as always, by you. And you, Scott. We're going to come back hot next week with plenty more to talk about. Damn straight. Thanks for listening to The Suitcase and The Scribe, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.